Take that! Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined with my co-host, Ben. Ben, how you going? Hey, Theo, I'm good. Ready to rock for another podcast? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Yeah, what are we doing? Uh, what are we doing this evening? So oh, this, oh, I did it again. <laughs> Bloody hell, I'm gonna have to. Let's, let's do it again. Do it again. I have to dock you some of your match fees, twenty five percent. That's right. I'm not paying anything, so you sorted. Uh, <laughs> yes, depending on what. Yes, look, let, we're look, we're recording it at night. Okay, everyone, just get over it. That's when we're recording it. You can just listen to it whenever you like. All right, you you handle it. You right. it. Our, our listeners right. smart people; they can figure it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, this episode, we're going to be looking at weasel words. Um, again, it's another one shirt certainly touched upon in previous uh, episodes or upcoming original episodes. Uh, but I don't believe we've ever done it with a reading from the book, so that is how I shall begin. Weasel words, other terms and or related concepts, euphemism, dysphemism, emotionally loaded language, missile words, business speak. Description, the phony advocate uses euphemisms, dysphemisms or emotionally loaded labels to boost their own position or to undermine the opponent's position. The general descriptor weasel words is a metaphorical usage which connotes a weasel-like slippery evasion. The fraudster in using weasel words seeks to misrepresent the issue under discussion by avoiding an accurate and factual description of the topic. Examples. Hazel Clavicle, the peace activist, and Erwin Tammany, the former Minister of Defence, are being interviewed by Bob Sislix on a current affairs television program. The topic under discussion is the French bombing campaign in support of the Rebel Alliance fighting government forces in the Republic of Malakaluk. After viewing footage of bomb damage, Bob asked them both for comment on civilian casualties. Hazel claims the damage is evidence of genocide. Irwin says the collateral damage is always regrettable. Example 2. After a spate of bad publicity, a tanning salon chain has decided to rebrand itself. The newly appointed CEO, Noreen Armstrong, has called an all-hands meeting to discuss the details. She runs through a PowerPoint presentation that has lots of circles. It also has arrows that point from the circles to other circles. While outlining her vision for the company, she uses the following terms. Customers first, be courageous, innovative, future-focused, unleash potential, space, integrated communication, content marketing, team game plan, strategic agility, and dialoguing with clients. Comment. In the first example, both Hazel and Irwin may be sincere in their beliefs. However, both are obscuring the reality of the issue by using weasel words. When Hazel describes the situation as genocide, she is seeking to equate war zone civilian deaths with the deliberate mass killing of non-combatant ethnic groups because of their ethnicity, i.e. actual genocide. She's appropriating legitimate and essential term for her own corrupt purposes, using genocide as a dysphemism. In doing so, she compromises its accepted meaning and reduces its potency and precision. Over time, widespread misuse of the term will leave us with no label for actual genocide in common usage. A byproduct of watering down such a term is the comfort it provides perpetrators of genuine de- genocide. Irwin euphemistically uses collateral damage to distance the viewer from the human drama and tragedy, which is the outcome of almost any bombing campaign. Civilians are, after all, people. Collateral implies buildings and real estate rather than individual human beings. 
If Bob, the interviewer, were a seeker after truth and a good journalist, he would challenge both his interviewees on their tendentious use of terminology. He would ask them to justify their usage. If he did this and pursued the matter, they might even both agree they are talking about civilian deaths rather than genocide or collateral damage. If participants involved in any discussion agree to reject the use of weasel words in favour of precise descriptions, the discussion is much more likely to result in a fruitful outcome. The second example is of management or business speak. Instead of speaking in plain language and giving clear direction, executives such as Noreen appear to think using jargon from business books by self-help gurus when speaking equates to making important and insightful points. Perhaps the fault lies with her staff for not also reading the same books. Whatever the reason, they are left with a mental concussion and no certainty or clear direction, other than at their next all-hands meeting they will be playing buzzword bingo. The weasel word most commonly directed at sceptics is that they are not open-minded. This is used as a disparaging label and a preemptive dismissive rhetorical tactic. The thought process underlying this accusation might be something along the following lines. My opponent does not agree with me. Further, because I believe I am open-minded, my opponent's disagreement must mean they are not open-minded. Corruption of a useful term like open-minded by closed-minded weasels should be attacked with vigour at every opportunity. Other examples. You see, Obama believes redistributing wealth, not in policies that help us all make more of it. Joe, in his plain spoken way, said this sounded a lot like socialism. John McCain. Indigenous people have the answers and we need collaborating, not using jackboots to seize powers. Lynn Allison. In plain English, what does it mean when students achieve a deficiency or reach a suboptimal outcome? It means they failed. A suboptimal outcome is even worse in a hospital. It means a patient died. John Leo. I was just going to say, Theo, um, while I was listening to that, I was, was politicians are great for this sort of stuff, aren't they, really? I think all the, oh, yeah. the best... The best examples of this this genre of um, foolishness it always come from politicians. Was, uh, was it who was the uh, was it John Howard the uh, the core promises and the non core promises? Yeah, that's John Howard. Yeah, core and non core <laughs> promises. Yep, yep, yep. Now they that's certainly actually the best example to be fair to politicians is fake politicians in um, uh, yes prime minister and yes minister. Yeah, of course. They, yeah. they are the masters and. <laughs> It's amazing how good you can get at them when you have time to sit down and write a script. <laughs> yeah, Monty, Monty that, Python was good at this sort of stuff. As absolutely. Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, I hope readers will pick up on the deliberate use of weasel words in that section. It is deliberately ironic, like saying a corrupt use of language and so on. Uh, that's quite deliberate. Um, yeah, and, look, there, there is a, a – like using metaphorical language is a good thing in that it makes writing and speaking interesting. Um, so there's no issue around that, but it is about when it's a deliberately positioning something and it's moving it away from the truth of the matter um, and when it's unnecessarily obtuse and unclear as well. So uh, it, it, they're mostly different. Um, business people, I think, do it to sound smarter than they really are. That's my assumption. I don't know yeah. if it's true or not, but I, I, I choose to believe it. Oh, and also um, that business speak example is not, I repeat, not one from my any of my real life experiences and certainly <laughs> not one from my current job. I deny that outright. Uh, okay, so look, um, I've got two different examples uh, I want to look at. There is 
uh, the euphemistic examples and then uh, dysphemistic examples too. So, I, you know, euphemism is where you're using language to make something sound less harsh or less bad than it really is, to sound better than it really is. And a dysphemism is the opposite, where you're trying to make something sound worse um, than it really is. You're trying to position the audience to think that, you know, negative, negatively about some particular topic. So let's um, start with a, an example of some euphemisms. Uh, this comes courtesy of um, a show that's been on the air, I think, last year here. It's by uh, a group called The Chaser, um, and they had a show called Media Circus. So they actually looked, you know, examples from the media and things like that. And they had a really some lovely examples, which what is really this is what inspired me to do this episode. So let's have them to listen to their clip now. stories make up so much of our bulletins that one of the most popular characters we see on the evening news is the police officer. Yet for all the practice cops get talking to reporters, they haven't yet learned to speak in clear English. So instead of saying, a man tried to attack us with a knife, so we shot him, they say... The male person uh, has produced uh, an edged weapon and as a result of uh, that uh, violence being offered to our members, <laughs> the Victoria police member has discharged a single shot from his firearm. And this week in Queensland, someone was arrested not for allegedly making a bomb, but for allegedly making... ..number of concoctions that we had the propensity to explode. <laughs> I love that one. A number of concoctions uh, that had the propensity to explode. <laughs> it's almost like they have a competition to see who can come up with the most torture. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? It <laughs> is. And... and and, and around those ones in particular, it's it, you kind of go, why? You know, like who's going to be against you when someone's trying to stab you with a knife? You know, so. You produced <laughs> an edged weapon. Yeah. An edged weapon. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. It, it is. It's that level you go, wow, someone's sick. Well, and someone would have written that statement. So, um, you know, and in my day job, uh, you know, being a bureaucrat um, working for the state government, I certainly am aware of, you know, how you've got to write in plain language because you we write documents that are meant to be read by the public. So you're actually trying to be as clear as possible. But then the other side of the coin is you want to make sure you can't be misinterpreted. And so there's that um, that worry, you know, if you have two direct and two blunt people trying to mm-hmm. bring the other way. But, you know, there's a rule of thumb in government now is trying to be more open and more clear. And that's, that kind of language comes from, in my view, the older thing where you're trying to waffle on so much people don't understand what you're saying and leave you alone, you know. If I if if I can share an example of obscure, strange and obscure language from my own experience as a uh, as a former public servant, Theo, uh, in in my old department, we used to have a thing called a riverine protection permit. I love it. What is it? <laughs> what that actually means is it's a license that lets you dig up a creek. <laughs> That's like George Orwell. That's double speed. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I I remember when I first saw that. I thought that can't be right. That's weird. But yeah, that's what it actually is. The riverine protection permit is not a riverine protection permit. It's a riverine destruction permit. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't call it a riverine destruction permit. <laughs> Sorry, and you add on the in your opinion. In in yeah. your opinion, in my opinion, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. In my opinion, it's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and that's this whole all these podcasts are in our opinion, FYI. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The well, I, 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 I have 
I don't work for the government anymore, so I probably... That's true. Yeah, you can... Okay, in Ben's opinion, I think everything the government does is great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> except for on voting day, then I can do whatever I want. Um, the, uh, the yeah, and, and that's the, the issue around that stuff is is the, the real problem with it is obviously when you someone uses weasel words, there's that always, I don't like to impugn motives, but you're always that back of your mind, well, what are you actually trying to hide? Because if you're correct... You know, if your arguments are right, if you if you genuinely believe in something, then why isn't using the words that explain the thing clearest as possible yeah. the right way to do it? Why you are know? you trying to obscure what what you're saying? Yeah, well, but like if we go to the example in the book about calling you know civilian deaths um, genocide. If it's not actual genocide, civilian deaths are horrible. So talk about civilian deaths and say they're not doing yeah. enough. You know, you don't. So it's, if it's but when you, as soon as you then say, oh, you know, the U.S. or Australia or whatever in the, in some war zone is committing genocide, you immediately get us more, you know, centrist people offside because we go, hang on, no, we're not. So it, it, so you're actually damaging yourself. You're not. You're only going to pre- preach to the converted, and you're not going to bring anyone from the middle over to your side. You're and immediately silencing any conversation. It it also, I suppose, it also raises the question of precision with language too, doesn't it, Theo? Because it's like when you when you exaggerate a situation like that, it takes away from people who actually have suffered genocide. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and English and, and, has got so many words to pick from, so it's not like you're running out of choices here. Yeah. No, and yeah, it does, and and then again, it gets it takes away from that. It also, as you know, in the example in the book, then people are committing real genocide. Um, you know, what they're doing looks on par with something like that. So, you know, like civilian de- accidental civilian deaths, and, yeah. and again, it's not to to say that that's the opposite side of the coin. Just calling it collateral damage is horseshit as well. Um, yeah, well, and I suppose it. the other thing, the other thing about all this stuff is it's very emotive. Yeah, it's emotive language. Well, that, and that's why the euphemisms are awful because they get rid of the emotion yeah. from us. You know, if you just say, "Oh, there was some collateral damage," and you're talking about hundred, you know, um, fifty people were killed in a wedding when you wanted to target one particular terrorist, for example, that's completely horrendous. You know, like <laughs> so, so it's that getting that act explaining it accurately and precisely what actually happened. And yeah. that's when people use language as a, as a weapon, as a tool to position people in a particular direction. But, you know, look, as long as you're aware of it, I think you can, as soon as you hear those words, you just know that, oh, hang on, someone's trying to pull the wool over my eyes or trying to position me to in some position, and then I should immediately go, oh, hang on a sec, what are they not saying? Why did they use those words? What are they trying? To, what's the effect they're trying to achieve here? And if you think about it from that point of view, then um, you, you're pretty well inoculated to weasel words. I so, suppose, I suppose on, the, yeah, on the on the other side of the coin is like we should avoid using weasel words. Yeah, it is a balance because there is that bit <laughs> where you want to have interesting poetic language sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you got to know why you're doing it. And I was thinking well, if it's something. That, that matters, then you stick with the truth. You yeah. know, well, per- personally, I never use emotive language. And mm. I, I, I only ever, I can back you up on that one, Ben. <laughs> I only ever use it when it's appropriate. I never use weasel words. The only emotive <laughs> language I tend to use is um, expletives. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing how much um, how much better a sentence sounds when you put in front of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just—it's all part of the, uh, the colourful, the colourfulness of English, of Australian yeah. English. Because imagine that police reporter said, "This dumb fucker came at us with a knife." <laughs> 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 Shot him. <laughs> That'd be much better. 
crazy it was off his tree. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to have to beep out lots of swear words. Uh, I'm just going to yeah. label this episode explicit and not worry about it. <laughs> yeah, not safe for work. Apologies if you've got kids in the car. Um, <laughs> Uh, look, so let's we've gone from one version, the um, the euphemism. So let's go to the other version, the um, dysphemism. So this is from Bill Maher, um, the you know um, talk show host in the US, and uh, he has he's entertaining. He certainly has some views that I agree with, but then he has some other views. And the, this one is a pretty straight. I was thinking about what are some dysphemisms, and the one that jumped out at me immediately was stuff on vaccines. But then mm. the other. I've done that before, so the one that I really obvious second one was genetic engineering because that's one that gets lots of weasel words around it. And Bill Maher was kind enough to provide me with the classic um, dysphemism uh, used around genetic engineering. So let's have a listen to good old Bill. But, uh, you know, after the show, a lot of people said to me that's current, why don't you talk about genetically modified foods? Okay, you're right, we should talk about genetically modified foods. the show even though nine out of ten americans would like foods to at least be labeled to right. at least we know they're franken foods uh, they okay why? they can't why they because it says be. it would wait, wait. hurt sales no 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 so no. shut up and eat your your fucking mutant chili no, but- <laughs> So that was beautiful. He said, he said Frankenfood. So he got that in there yeah. immediately. And then and mutant. mutant chili. I like, the, I like the idea of mutant chili. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I think if they embrace labeling and they had yeah. like really kick-ass chili and they said, this is mutant chili, this will rip your guts apart, you know, that would be a good selling yeah. point. Genetically um, engineered to be extra, extra, uh, what was I going to say? Extra spicy. Extra spicy. <laughs> extra chilli, yeah. Extra flavoursome, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, look, it, there's a bit of me that thinks, you know, labelling, to, not to get off topic, labelling makes sense, but the, one of the points the guy in the interview says, well, there's no evidence that it's bad for you. So all you're doing is actually adding, adding a scare tactic and there's no different. And, you know, well, let's not get into the, the details around genetic engineering, but all I know is my reading and research is that it's been far more studied for safety than normal food. And most of what they're doing is, um, you know, going to require less pesticides than, say, organic farming and things like that. Um, and the whole Monsanto thing is just a comp- nearly every nearly everything you read about Monsanto is just not true when you actually dig into it. So um, whilst there are certainly issues around corporate ownership of food and things like that, um, nearly all the stuff you actually read that the propaganda has put out, you do some investigation, you find actually no, it's not true. So couple of ones I've done in the past were the ones about um, the uh, Terminator genes, you know, that they've got a policy to um, not uh, allow you to regrow crops from the previous year before, so you've got to buy the new new thing. But they were actually asked to do that so you wouldn't get contamination. So if you have a Terminator gene in in the the wheat crop, it can't cross-contaminate and, you know, grow new wheat from that one. Um, There's one thing about, you know, they knew about something having an allergy and blah, blah, blah with putting nuts in it. Well, they were doing the preliminary research, and they stopped that research immediately when they saw it was causing the allergic reaction in the um, in the the, the 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 testing in the petri dish, you know. So it never even became to product, and then this gets turned into a big thing. They were growing this; they were going to put it in our food, you know. So the issue again there is not using the truth, which means then I can't believe a lot of the anti-GM propaganda because nearly every time I investigate it, I find out it's horseshit. Well, the other thing is as well. I think we're getting sidetracked here, Theo, but I'll just put my ten cents in. Is that uh, uh, 
genetic engineering has moved a long way in the last 20 years. And a lot of the concerns, which may have had a certain element of truth in them, are no longer relevant because the technology has changed so much. Yeah, and the, I mean, then the research is being done. The long-term uh, research is already happening. Well, know, so. I, I, I remember when I was studying this back at university like, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, is there was a lot of uh, um, concern about jumping genes. And yeah, that's right, yeah. One of the... Um, one of the issues was the way in which they were actually inserting genes into into other from one species into another. They used to use a shotgun technique, which was basically blast genes at high speed at a um, at another um, sequence or whatever. Yeah. At a, in a, in a, into another sequence, yeah, and mm -hmm. just see what happened. So I was pretty much actually randomly just firing, and most of the time nothing happened. It didn't work. It didn't, because obviously that that sort of brute force method of like forcing genes into a um, into another um, genetic sequence isn't going to work very much. But they don't do that anymore. They've got they've got much uh, much greater um, control precision. and precision yeah. how they do that. That's that's yeah. pretty that's pretty that's pretty um, primitive way of doing it, and they don't even yeah. do that anymore. So well, and the other the other issue is you know the a lot of the propaganda against it's about oh, but the profits are companies are trying to make it things like that. Which sure, they're commercial entities are going to try and make money. And there's the, issues, issues around food security and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That's uh, a for separate example, issue. <laughs> with the golden rice stuff that's happening now, yeah. the vitamin A stuff, which is just you know. I believe Monsanto, who have developed it, have licensed it, for, for, have given it away, the license, like it's open source, you know, anyone can use yeah. it now and grow up because they want to give back, you know, it might be, and it might be just like McDonald's, you know, sponsoring soccer teams, they're doing it for a thing, but whatever, like there's vitamin A deficiency and kids going blind from and from not getting enough vitamin A and if they can put it in rice, they'll do something good. So anyway, look, as far as I'm concerned, if they can just grow me like the perfect like tomato, avocado, for example. Tomato. Tomato, well, avocado. My parents grow the perfect avocados, Theo, so I'll have to true, you and you haven't been in the for a long time. They don't live at Mulaney somewhere. No, they, they, your parents had to have good, good avocados. But, <laughs> but see if they could get the perfect one and then clone the bastard and just have the yeah. identical perfect avocado every time, and especially an avocado that just self-peeled and then self-mushed onto my sandwich. That would be perfect. Then I'm, and then I'm like threw itself down your throat so you didn't even have to chew it. I like it. See, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let's, as you said, we've got a well off topic on this one. The, the real issue is, you know, the, the whole labelling Franken-foods and the mutated foods and things like that. And it's, of course, you know, it's, it's a clever label, but it is absurd. Um, and once you actually delve into the science of what's going on and, and then you look at, you know, how we've selectively bred and basically been genetic engineering um, for thousands of years and the examples they tend to pick, you know, or you're putting the fish gene into the tomato or something like that. Nearly all of them, as you said, they were, they're not techniques that are done for current things. And then so what? Genes are just information. Um, well, so considering... What's the effect of well, it? And the other thing is as well, is like, like what's a good example? Hox gene, which is, for people who don't know, is the gene that um, controls the development of your limbs. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. Okay, so basically the Hox gene is pretty much found in every single animal and it's almost identical. So you could take a fish hox gene and stick it in a into a monkey genome and it would still do the same thing. 
Yeah, because it's essentially... Plus or minus, roughly. Yeah, <laughs> plus, or minus, plus or minus some gills. Yeah. <laughs> but, that, but basically, the Hox gene in a fly is identical to a Hox gene in a human. They do the same yeah. thing. So, but it, it, a lot of it's too is just the inverted commas ickiness around that yeah. kind of stuff. It's like when they first started doing, you know, transplants or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah, because people were, oh, that's, but it's, it, as you get used to it, and again, when you just got to do your understanding of how genes work and go, well, it is just yeah. a code basically. Well, so, considering, the, yeah, well, I mean, it's like what's the other one they like to wheel out? Like the humans and chimps have got ninety nine percent the same yeah, DNA. Yeah, yeah. It's like well, yeah, but, and again, it, it's. Look at evaluate the technology and the consequences of it based on the technology yeah. and the consequences. Not and, on, you know, and the other one I like thing. is um, it's like humans share 70 percent of the same genes with ferns. It's like yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's literally a code. Um, yeah, it's a biological code. Um, and, and it, it's very given that, yeah. So. Yeah, and given that all life comes from a common ancestor. Yeah. Of course, we're going to share biological information <laughs> it's like and i just realized i said it's a code and actually the better analogy is it's a recipe and you're just changing some of the ingredients or some of the the, the instructions um for the recipe and you know that's why humans look different because it's not identical for all of us as well um so it's Copying just a matter errors, of, yeah. yeah yeah it's just a matter of um degree of variation you know so uh and again test it, evaluate it, and then look look what's the evidence of it doing harm. And that's what, um, you know, it's really struggled to show um, any evidence of doing harm. And there's, you know, there's a whole stuff around organic and all that stuff as well. So there's lots yeah. of complicated social things that are going on before you well, it, look at the science. It, it's, 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 it's all very emotive, this stuff. I think there's, there's, there's two, always, there's two issues. There's the, there's the, the kind of the technical scientific aspect and then there's the social aspect where there's this kind of um, morality attached to to these kinds of technologies, which is which is kind of I don't know it's it's uh, it's baggage that's come from this kind of uh, agri ag giant agri tech companies that do all this research yeah, yeah, and yeah, therefore yeah. whatever they're doing is bad and they use this technology therefore this technology is also bad it's, yeah that's a pretty pretty good way of characterizing the, the logic it's um certainly the uh issues that i see around in particular are like if you ask people what is the most evil corporation in the world they'd all pretty much say monsanto i'd bet a lot of money them and maybe blackwater you know the the private uh. um, Coca-Cola, yeah, Coca Google. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Google, man. We use Google Hangouts right now. Take that back. Um, uh, uh, Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I just got an iPad. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's the thing. But they're all companies. They all have profit. And so, of course, they don't they act in the best interest of the company. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean what they're doing is necessarily bad. Um, you evaluate each issue on its own. Um, I'm sure Monsanto does do some of the dodgy things you hear about, but... Uh, well, overall, the, you've got to say what is yeah. the science around to genetic engineering. If you're saying it's um, Franken food and it's a mutant thing, and you're implying there's some health risk to it, which is what people usually go back to, it's like, well, what's the evidence for there being health risk? You can't just say, oh, we're playing God, we're doing this and that. It's like, no, no. Where is the actual evidence of there being a health risk? If anything, it's the other way around because they can use less pesticides, for example. Um, and they can, you know, put uh, more nutrients and things like that. So, if anything, it's likely to be the other way around. 
Plus, they might be able to make me avocado that actually already has a taste like bacon in it as well. So yeah, and cheese. Good. Yeah, and cheese and chicken. I like uh, avocado and chicken too, yeah. I'll have to get my – I'll have to go do some work at my, my dad's secret laboratory. Yeah, good. See if I can cross a chicken and, and bacon with an avocado well, and, and see what and happens. And that's the worst thing that drives me crazy. You know, I, I would – if there's one bit of audio that I've never recorded that I wish I had, it's um, I'll tell an anecdote about my father, um, Jeff, um, you know, the other my previous co-host, and we went to a um, this must have been back in the '90s, so I was probably you know first or second year university or around that kind of time. We went to a um, a oh, like a market fate thing that was up on um, I think it was up at Mount Tambourine, which is kind of in the, the hinterlands here, and there's lots of um, alternative lifestyle people living there and around that area. And they had a, as a part of this show, they had some people put on a play and the play was you know, written by someone up there and it was all about genetic engineering and about genetic engineered food in particular and how bad and evil it was. And they had a, um, a bit where the, they genetically engineered a avocado and they put a pig gene in it and that was a part of the, the thing. That's why I said the, the bacon-flavoured avocado. Anyway, the scientists who were doing the um, genetic engineering had like a German accent. So they went to this really stereotypical evil German scientist. And um, so halfway through this thing, dad, you know, Jeff, he gets up and he goes, I'm sorry, this is really offensive to me. (laughs) My great grandfather, my grandfather is German and he fought in the water against Hitler and he was a part of the resistance and he just starts off on this whole big bullshit rant about how offensive it was them using a German stereotype. He did this from the audience and I was just sitting there piercing myself laughing. I, just could not, and I actually had to bend over to make it look like I was crying because I was laughing so hard and they just stopped the entire play and were really, oh, no, sorry, we're not trying to stereotype. And, of course, that totally screwed up the middle of the play and it was great because the, the thing – when they had the person had the uh, ate the avocado and turned into a pig, that's what they said. Because <laughs> he had the avocado, he eventually turned into a pig. But then the best thing was they said, "What we're going to do is we're going to do the whole play, and then we want you to stop it at some point, and then tell us how we could re- how the person could have made a different decision, like one of the characters in the play." Anyway, so that's when he did it. You know, when they said to stop it, and that's why he made them stop it. Anyway, he, he, he was actually back the next day to be on a panel about something like that, about something else. And um, and so he said, oh, no, that was that, that was my evil twin brother who did that. It wasn't me. <laughs> so they then went and did the play the next day. I wasn't there for the next one. And then they apparently chose – they still had to do an accent, so they went for a Russian accent. So <laughs> a Russian, evil Russian scientist. <laughs> Talk about not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of shit my dad would do. I see. Yeah. I didn't. Have, I just have the balls to do that, man. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. But that was give the it thing. A, like they, the guy ate the avocado and turned into a pig. Yeah. Give it ten years, Theo. Yeah. <laughs> ten years. And you're gonna get to that age where you don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. I, it's it's not. It's just I don't think I'm that good an actor. Like he <laughs> he was such a good actor. And when we've talked about that in the past, as he pointed out, acting is really simple and quite straightforward for most people to do. It's not really not a very important talent at all. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's gold. <laughs> all right. Um, I think on that note, uh, we'll leave it there, Ben. Uh, yeah. Oh, there was just one more thing I no, wanted to. No, I said that's it. It's over. Okay, go on. Oh, okay. Okay. okay, there is a um Australian guy by the name of uh, what was his name? See, if you're gonna 
uh, episode. You've got to be more prepared than that. <laughs> Some Australian guy. Uh, I've lost his name. Where is his name? You just have to edit this bit out, Theo, and pretend oh, that I did it. No, I'll be, leaving, I'll, be, I'll be leaving the bit where you fucked up in. Don't worry about that. Uh, what's his... Uh... Don't worry about the name. Just tell the story. Sorry, Don Watson. That's his name. He's oh, an Australian, yeah, 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 yeah. Australian writer. Yeah. Basically, he, he writes about language. He's got these two books, which are pretty much dedicated to weasel words. Um, one's called Death Sentence, and the other one's called Watson's Dictionary of Weasel Words. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, yeah. Anyway, he actually has a website for his Weasel Words Dictionary, and there's some very, very funny stuff on there. Um, I'll put, get a link yeah, put up to yeah, it. But, um, yeah, for sure, yeah. But, yeah. There, there was one in particular. Was, it, he was, was he a um, speechwriter or something like that? Is he? I'm not sure what he – or he was a journalist or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a speechwriter. Yeah, I'm just having a look now. Um, yeah, I think he was. I think he might have. Was he um, Paul Keating, maybe? Yeah, maybe. But there. <laughs> uh, but basically, there is um, the finance minister of our current uh, federal government. They announced cuts to our public broadcaster. Yeah. And they. He's, uh, his name's uh, Matthias Corman, actually. And what, what he said is, he said, this is, this is quoting him, he said, well, they're not cut. The, well, the ABC has been exempted from efficiency dividends for the last nice. 20 years. <laughs> efficiency dividends, which apply to every other department in government, every other agency of government that is funded by a taxpayer. We believe it's important that the ABC, like, the, like every other taxpayer-funded organisation, operates efficiently. So... They're not cutting their funding. Hmm. It's an efficiency dividend. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I, and I, I always wonder when they, they come up with these things. Is there, is there like a – because all these people employ PR hacks to um, write their speeches for them. And I remember having to like jump through the hoops whenever I had to talk to the minister or something like that. But yeah. They they actually hire people who write this stuff, and I always yeah, wonder. Yeah. I always wonder. It's like, are they deliberately evil, or are they just having a laugh? Well, I, I think that, it's, I think it'd be both, couldn't it? Yeah. Because like, think about if you just well, we've said this in, in about the book. If you learn all these fallacies, you could use yeah. them purely to for, win. For, you know? Yeah, for good, for good or for evil. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, it's all about. The question you really need to ask yourself, Theo, is how do you monetize this? Yeah, so far it's not working. (laughs) (laughs) But if one person bought a book, I could buy a cup of coffee this week. That'd be good. Yeah, that's right, yeah. (laughs) And just to follow up, Don Watson, yeah, apparently was a um, Paul Keating, one of his um, speechwriters, and he did the um, uh, Redfern Park speech, which he claims Paul Keating delivered without changing a single word. But Keating disputed the authorship, saying speech was developed from a dozen conversations between them, so, and they've since had a public falling out. Yeah. That's a bit sad. But anyway, they, that's from the Wikipedia page. So, yeah, okay, yeah. I've, I do remember the name, but I haven't actually read those books. I have to look at those. The Dictionary yeah. of Weasel Words. The Dictionary of Weasel Words is particularly good. Yeah, and Gobbledygook is the other one. So yeah. um, both came at the same time, interestingly enough. But anyway, um, yeah, okay. So I'll, I'll stick a link for that in the show notes also. Thanks for bringing that one up, Ben. Uh, okay, look, um, I think we'll leave it there then, hey? Okay, Theo, I'll see you next time. Okay. Oh, and before we time. go, um, yep. 
if if people wanted to find out where they could learn the techniques for evil, where would they oh, go? About? Well, you wouldn't. I mean, good because my book is about being a seeker after truth. Yeah, a seeker um, of the truth. But <laughs> say you say you were in a situation where it was necessary for the greater good to obscure the truth in some way. <laughs> you could probably use Humbug the Skeptics Field Guide, spotting deceptive arguments, $4, www.skepticsfieldguide.net. Use the tab ebook. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Thanks for getting the plug in there for Ben because I don't like doing it myself, but if you do, that's great. <laughs> exactly. Okay, all right, we'll wrap it up there and we'll yeah. uh, see you in the next episode. Okay, see you, Theo. See ya. See ya.